right, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to Chopping It Up with P. Scott. I'm Prescott Kelly. Today is Friday, December 29th, right? Yes, December 29th. Glad to have you back with us. Chock full of stuff this evening. It's been a while. We tried to get on the microphone a couple days ago, but with my work schedule and holidays, you do, you get in where you fit in, right? So we went from Brock Party is the clear MVP candidate to how Brock made Turdy Dump. That is a reference from my favorite video game, The Witcher. I'll get in that a little bit. And now Lamar Jackson's the front runner for MVP, which I don't understand a whole lot of that either. The Chiefs might actually be in trouble. I still don't believe in the Bills. Bobby Auden, we're going to get to that point with Dan Orlovsky in a moment. Should the Raiders fully commit to Antonio Pierce as their head coach? Russ is out in Denver. That was also from Chris Fisher. Thank you for that as well. We got some other things we put in here. The comeback player of the year controversy. That was also a late, uh, late development from Chris Fisher as well. So we'll throw in there. I'm completely over Giannis. Have been for a while. Drop everything in the chat if you want to have your comment read on there as well. So without further ado, let's get into the first topic at hand, which obviously is now the MVP discussion. We've gone back and forth on this for too long. And I think what we need to do is readjust our perspective of when we kind of know what somebody is and what somebody isn't the, what we've kind of instilled so far is three years is what we think that we know we've got from you. Right. Uh, Especially like as a quarterback, we think that once we get three years, we either know to move off of you to pay you or, or draft another quarterback. The the New York giants just botched this with Daniel Jones. They knew he wasn't the guy, but he had one semi-successful year when they went to the playoffs last year and they paid him, which was just absolutely incorrectly the wrong move. And I think that most of us as fans realize that, but we've done this thing down to once again of he got us to the playoffs. We got to pay him. And I've always used the examples of the guys like Jared Goff, even though he looks better now, Jared Goff is the same guy. He's in year like seven. He's the same guy, but keeps getting paid. Blake Bortles. We have, he got us to the AFC championship game. No, he didn't. That ridiculous defense in Leonard Fournette did. But they hang, they're handcuffed by these less than mediocre quarterbacks. But when there's an overall team success, we want to just jump and give all the praise to the quarterback. And then when there's some kind of fault or a losing streak, it all gets piled on them as well. And it's just this, this extreme that I don't understand why it exists. But I say with Brock Purdy, when all through this entire season, he was looked at as the clear-cut MVP just because he's the quarterback on the best team. Then you don't have everybody, Debo, Trent Williams, and McCaffrey for three games. And I've made this point beforehand. And I, when you bash anybody who has been the underdog, it makes it look like you're a hater. And that isn't the point. That isn't what it is. There's some context that comes with it. So for me, I thought, hey, if you're a second-year quarterback and it's basically your 17th or 18th career start and you don't have your three best players, anybody is going to look bad. But we we want to give all the credit to the quarterback, and then he lays a complete egg against Baltimore, right? Four interceptions, I think three in the first half, and then it's automatically he's not the MVP. He wasn't the MVP to begin with. Like you had the Monstars with you. And when you don't have the Monstars, you look like that. Once again, for being only a year and a half into your career, I expect you 
to look like that. That's not a, that's not a slight. That's not an indictment on your play. That's just what you're what you're supposed to look like. But you can't keep up from to be an MVP when that's the performances that you get when you don't have everybody around you. And it's not even just everybody. It's one offensive lineman, albeit one of the best to ever do it. And Debo, Samuel, and McCaffrey. Like you've got to be able to do something and not lose all four games that you have this, this season when you've been put in this situation four different times. You've lost all four. So I just feel like it's this, this weird narrative that just because you're the quarterback on the best team, you automatically get MVP. Before a couple of weeks ago when Tyreek Hill got injured, I thought that it was going to be Tyreek Hill. But then you saw Miami beat the brakes off of, I think it was the Jets, just smash them. That hurt his MVP stock, as it, as it usually does. Uh, Lamar Jackson is another guy who, the stats aren't gaudy. But when you look at how Baltimore plays and how they use him, he is like arguably the most valuable player on this on his team. And that's what it all boils down to is most valuable. It's not most important position on the best team. That isn't how that works. But when I look at MVP candidates, to me, it's still like it's Christian McCaffrey, I believe, at this point. Just the numbers he's put up. In, when we do MVP talk, like if you really wanted to do this, if you wanted to be so outlandish, hell, you could even throw Raheem Mostert in there because he's got what 20 tuz this year as well, close to it, 17, 18. If we're just going to go based off of the numbers of touchdowns, why is Raheem Mostert not getting any love? Is it because of Tyreek Hill? Like, if you're just going to throw outlandish stuff out there, we might as well go ahead and do that as well. But so can Baltimore's defense get the MVP? That's a good point. Chris Fisher says, can the, can the Baltimore defense get the MVP? Well, they made, they made San Francisco look foolish, which not a whole lot of teams can do. But when I'm looking at the NFL, this is a weird, it's a weird year because all we do is we look at these things as, well, who have you beaten? You haven't beaten anybody. The transit of property does not belong in NFL football. It just doesn't. If you want to use that for rankings for college, I'm good with it. That's fine. I still think it's silly, but at least it makes a little bit more sense because you have a ranking system. You have to find who you believe are the best teams. This is just by seeding. It doesn't matter how you win necessarily. I think how you win does matter. If I can't see you dominate a team front to back and you're constantly letting teams in and you're blowing second half leads, that's it's alarming to me, which I, I don't think that I'm, in the wrong for that. But the arguments have been, you haven't beaten anybody, but also nobody's any good. Like we don't think anybody in NFL is great. We, we consider San Francisco to be the best team in the NFL. Most consider top to bottom. That is where we live. San Francisco is the best collective team. We thought it was Philly for a while because of the run last year, but they also, what I think what people forget is that they had like all pro years from just about damn near everybody, which you're not usually going to get. And they were winning a lot of ugly games like Minnesota was last year. But we all knew that Minnesota was, we all knew that Minnesota was frauds. Like, I think that we all could agree on that. But Philly, we gave the benefit of the doubt because they went to the Super Bowl last year and because they had just monster years from so many guys. And I was, I'm the same guy. I did the exact same thing. But I've seen enough from Philly collectively over the past number of years where I believe that they are a good football team. But our arguments are, well, who have you beaten? 
the Eagles lost to the Jets. The Bills lost to the Jets. But people are already back on the bandwagon of the Bills are the most dangerous team. And I just don't know if I believe that because I've seen this movie too many times. I've read the book. I mean, I haven't, but I've, I've, I've read the cliff notes all the time. It's all highlighted. I know how this goes. Uh, let's go to Taylor Quake. He goes, okay, so it's okay who you've beaten when it doesn't come to my girlfriend. What the? I don't know what that has anything to do. I, should, I probably should have read that a lot because I have no idea where that even came from, bro. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, that was a weird turn. I don't even know why that's there. So anyway, uh, to get back on topic, the NFL MVP to me, I think, is, I think it should be Christian McCaffrey at this point in time. Um, God got me flustered. I don't even know what the hell that was about. Um um but no i i think that if you could give it to an actual unit i would i would give it to baltimore's defense because again they made they made somebody look with san francisco who we who we just assumed was the best nfl or the best team in the nfl just ran rough shot through them so i would go christian mccaffrey if i was going to go anyplace else but you know that's just me we're gonna move on because I need to re I need to recalibrate for a moment because that that comment threw me off. All right, so MVP talks are gonna be over for a bit. What else do we have on the docket? Because I had like seventeen things scroll through. Let's see. Oh, the Chiefs are actually gonna be in trouble. Look, I didn't think that Kansas City was gonna be in that much of a a problem this year because what we saw last year was when Tyreek Hill left and went to Miami. It was, well, what are the Chiefs gonna do without him? And all they did was win a Super Bowl. And like, as far as yards, points per game, I know they're down this year from last year. But it's still Patrick Mahomes. It's still Travis Kelsey. And this is the thing that we run into is that this was going to happen sooner or later. Once Philadelphia started losing games and once Kansas City started losing games, what was going to happen was the Kelsey brothers were going to start catching some heat. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, it's They're not taking it seriously enough. It's Travis is being... He's being distracted by Taylor and both the brothers are being distracted by their podcast and all this other stuff. And I don't know, for me, the podcast is, is difficult because when you work nine, 10 hours and you have a commute and everything else like that, you can't really put an additional hour or two this way. But when you're an NFL football player, you have full days off. You're only at practice for a couple hours. You have time to be able to do this. And I think that they've earned enough as far as their resumes are concerned between Travis and Jason I think they've earned the right to be able to do this. Now you can say they're not taking it seriously, but when you're considered the best at your professions, essentially, I don't have much of a problem with the fact of you having these, these other lanes, these other avenues, because I do consider them to be professional in what they do. There are some people who are considered knuckleheads and you need to be locked in. Like Tyree Kill is somebody who has a podcast, but doesn't always do that. Um, he doesn't always do it during the regular season. It's not every single week or every off day. Those guys are pretty religious with what they do. And now it seems like that they're just catching a bunch of heat for this. But for me, the Chiefs struggles aren't necessarily on that side of the ball. The first half, yeah, first half of the season or so, that was a top five defense. In the last four or five weeks, Kansas City has really gotten off the rails and hasn't been the same dominant defense. So these games that Kansas City was winning early on, it was something where you were kind of getting, he was finally getting bailed out. He wasn't having to put up 40 points and getting in these shootouts. The defense was holding it together. 
but now they're not. And you can't couple that with the poor wide receiver play because that's what they're getting. But again, last year, it wasn't a whole lot better. And you still won a Super Bowl. So Kansas City to me is still, I told y'all before, and I'm not somebody who really goes off the rails all that quickly. I'm not willing to jump ship and change my mind every three to five minutes on these things because it does things happen all the every week we got a new we have something new that we want to be upset about or we have that we're super passionate about until kansas city is not in an afc championship game to me they are going to be in an afc championship game they've gone to what five straight they've been to three super bowls and they've won two that's a big enough resume builder for me to say i'm still taking kansas city at this point i don't feel great about it but at what point in time do I have to think that they won't at least get to that, to that stage of this? And you can point at everything that I just mentioned, wide receiver play, defense, everything. I get it. But I'm still not, I'm not counting out Andy Reid and I'm not counting out Mahomes at all. Sorry about the last comment. No, that's Taylor, thanks for, for clarifying. It's 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 fine. It just really threw me off because I was like, I don't. I probably should have read it before I said it to really knew what, but I'm just going through the chat. I haven't had any of those things happen before him. It flustered me a bit, but we're good. We're right back here. Um, but I appreciate it, Taylor. Uh, so Roy says the chiefs receivers can't catch a cold. It's well, it's, it's really Tony. I, I there's isolated instances, obviously with MVS has had one. Tony's had multiple ones, but it's mostly Tony who is the, uh, the biggest, disappointment and even then i don't even think that he's the biggest disappointment sky Moore has to be the biggest disappointment of that group because he has not contributed at all and he was a what a late first early second rounder last year i believe sky Moore is the one who's really letting them down because that's where they thought they were going to get the production that they were going to be losing from tyreek but Kadarius is the one catching all the strays right now and which again i understand why a lot of drop passes, a lot, and it's not even just drop passes. Drop passes are one thing, and you can get frustrated. But the fact that he's basically turned into the Matt Schaub of wide receivers, where anything that he touches gets turned into a pick six the other way, I don't know, man. And that's another reason why I think that Kansas City is going to figure this out. Kind of. I, I still don't like them to win the Super Bowl, but at least get to the AFC Championship game. I could still see them doing it because I think that they're going to start figuring out, dude, we just can't trust Kadarius Tony anymore. We'll have to just be more creative. And I've been on the same, the same thought process that some other folks have had is that this is just practice to them. Like the regular season doesn't matter to them as much as it does to other teams. So they're trying, let's not throw out all of our tricks, all the bag right now. And Bobby says, Casey's O-line is terrible. It's not good. It's not, but that's, but we, this is what makes the salary cap sports so difficult is when you start paying these quarterbacks $50 million a year, you are going to start to have holes. And the offensive line was one of their strengths a couple of years ago. It was their weakness when they played uh, Tampa, but then the next time they went to Super Bowl, it was, it was considered a strong suit of them and they can still retool it. Uh, every year you're going to have either free agents or you're going to draft. Well, it could still happen. But man, it is when you have 15 under center, it just feels like what they're willing to do is let the first couple of years was Mahomes is like doing cute stuff, right? He's doing the no look passes and uh, it's, it's, 
Hill and Kelsey, and they're just putting up video game numbers. And then once you started to pay him, they're like, okay, we get, we can't do the Q stuff anymore. We can't afford Tyreek and like, everybody else. We have to have you be a little bit more controlled, which is what he's done. And last year was our, was one of his best seasons without his best dynamic weapon. So I still think that Kansas City can make it to the AFC Championship game. Where they make it to another Super Bowl, I don't know. But the track record speaks for itself. And until they aren't there anymore, I'm not willing to write that team off. So he went through the MVP talks. Kansas City might be in trouble. Buffalo. So I don't understand, man. This happens every single year. People know that the Bills didn't win that crazy game against Kansas City, right? The 13-second game? They know that the Bills lost that one, right? Because I don't understand why you would think that the movie would end any differently than what it has for Buffalo. And one of the things that I was thinking about this morning, or not this morning, but it was on my on my drive back, was what we usually do is we get to like the quarter point of the season, right? It used to be four games in, and you know now it's got to be at least four and a quarter because of the extra game. But I think that we need to do is kind of reassess how we feel about certain teams because early on we thought Buffalo was frauds because they lost to the Jets and they were struggling. Then they ran off a couple wins and then we jumped ship on them again. Then they win three in a row and now they're back and Josh Allen looks awesome because they're, they're finally starting to run the ball, but it took them more than half a season to get James Cook involved. But then they play the Chargers who just got mollywopped by the Raiders and they barely beat Los Angeles. Like, this team is so inconsistent speaking about the bills where they always play with their food. That's what I say every week when somebody wants to talk bills football, they always play with their food. They always play down to their level of competition. They had no reason to, it should not have been that close. The Raiders got, they just molly whopped them and Buffalo's just like, no, you can, you can hang around. We're going to make it interesting. You don't get to do that. We, I just got done talking about Kansas City. Kansas City's earned that. Your resume speaks for itself. You don't, want, you don't want to see that happen, but you've earned that. Everything that Buffalo has ever done has been leading to a disappointment, which is why you can't hurt me anymore. People laugh at me when I say that, but they can't. Um, to go back real quick, because I missed Bobby Auden on one. He said Eric Bieniemy leaving hurt Kansas City more than people think. And I don't, that's the, that's, that's the thing. I don't know because wouldn't, wouldn't Washington be exponentially better? I know Sam Howell was leading the league in pass, like in passer yards for a long time, but still, what does that do? It's something, and I, maybe it's because Sam Howell isn't Patrick Mahomes. That's a very easy assessment for us to all make. But you think that Washington would have been better on the offensive side of the ball, not just put up empty stats. And that's one of the things that I talk about with when you talk about complementary football, it's not just run and pass. It's are you converting the third and shorts? Are you keeping the chain moving? Are systematically and circumstantially, are you doing what you need to do to win football games? And just because you put up bonkers yards doesn't mean that you're necessarily great at one certain thing, which leads me to believe that yes, I think that them missing Eric Bienemy does hurt but maybe not to the degree that we thought because they were still they were eight and three at one point in time this year, I believe, or seven and three, seven, and four. It's still 
we just we automatically assume that if you don't go 14 and three now that you're a trash team like we're doing that right now there's three teams that have 11 wins in the nfc that's pretty good last time i checked you still have two games left but we're running it down into the ground and dumbing it down so much to if you don't win every single week like our attention span just doesn't allow for you to struggle at all and with kansas city i'll go back on that for just a moment before i go back to the bills was we did this with the patriots with tom brady when they were like one and three they've done that twice in in that brady era oh well they're done tom brady is done belichick's done and all they did was rattle off Super Bowls. We did this with Kansas City last year and the year before that. They got to slow starts or they just didn't look as great as they have beforehand. We write them off and we're doing it against with Kansas City. And I'm just not willing to do that. But to get back to Buffalo, this is, this is a team that constantly lets you down. And Josh Allen is going to be, I've accepted who he is. Okay. I've accepted that Josh Allen is a monster athlete and he's going to give you those 40 touchdowns per season but he's also going to be reckless and careless and he's going to be the best option that buffalo is probably ever going to have at quarterback because they got it so wrong so many times in between like that doug flutie rob johnson era before they got him like the year before him when they had tyrod the bills we make fun of the browns because they've got just that laundry list that cvs receipt of just all of the bad quarterbacks that they drafted and signed and how many of them Buffalo was not that far off from essentially being the Cleveland Browns and people forget that I, for one have not, but what I am, what I'm doing is coming at it with some perspective and not just putting my Buffalo bills fanhood out there and thinking that Josh Allen doesn't come with his flaws because he does. And it usually comes in the big moments, but he doesn't really seem to get, he gets those, he gets the flag when it happens in multiple games. But like Dak Prescott gets it every single game when he makes one mistake. There's levels to it. The Bills have been a laughable loser and the Cowboys are at people's expense. But this is just how the internet and how, you know, fans overall work. And they like the underdog. Josh Allen is, yes, he was drafted number, what, number seven overall. But he came from Wyoming and not a whole lot of people had that much faith in him. And it's the same thing with Brock Purdy. Like when Brock Purdy first was coming up it's like oh we love the underdog story but then once you rattle off like 11 wins in a row and now we think you're good and then you have the three game slide that he had that underdog story isn't so cute people are really quick to change the narrative when it when they feel like it benefits what they want especially on the interwebs and y'all know that sorry your boy was getting parched real quick So Bobby says, as a Saints fan, after the Super Bowl win, 11-5 season was unacceptable for fans. People forget the days of 5-11 and 11 and 6-10 and 10 days. Well, this is, and I, I'll segue to a moment because I was going to get to Antonio Pierce. Uh, but you mentioned that as far as like quarterbacks and or coaches, everybody's so quick to fire everybody now. Uh, quarterbacks. To, to put that in perspective, just real quick. As far as players, there was a point this year where Josh Dobbs had the same odds to win MVP as Miles Garrett. And every single person who said that he should be in the MVP discussion, I wanted to fight through my computer screen. It was absurd how much love this guy was getting 
for four or five starts. And that's where we go with a lot of these guys. There's a little bit of film on you, or there's no film on you. You have a couple of games where you look good. Tommy DeVito had some of that. All of this is in such a vacuum of what you, what have you done for me lately? And there isn't much perspective and there isn't a whole lot of patience in society at all, but in sports, there sure as hell isn't. There used to be a time where you wanted to groom your quarterback. That was the way, because that's the only way that we knew how to do anything. You could even make the same adjustment with like the pandemic. I don't know. A lot of people don't want to hear about that, but if I'm just speaking this into existence real quick is we used to know for a matter of fact, the only way to develop a quarterback was you had to sit him. But then we got guys like Peyton Manning, like, okay, he can take his lumps. We're willing to deal with it, but we got to throw him to the wolves. But we knew parenthetically and hypothetically that we knew definitively that's the way that you groom quarterbacks. You make them sit and then they learn. Same thing with coaching. Nope. You got to have the same core, the same group of guys, the same coach, which is what Pittsburgh's done. And they've done a pretty good job over the years between winning percentages and Super Bowl appearances and Super Bowl wins. It's something where Pittsburgh even now isn't even good. Like Mike Tomlin isn't good enough where he hasn't had a winning. He's never had a losing season. He does only have the one Super Bowl. But to go ahead and kind of recalibrate that comment before I get back into Antonio Pierce is I try to put this in such a common, a common way to consume this. And we like to do recency bias. So that's what I try to do to, to placate to the narratives and to everybody else through social media is since the year 2000, there's been what, 23 Super Bowl winners. And I need people to understand Brady and Belichick alone have six of them. They alone have more than 25% of the Super Bowls since the year 2000. Like you've got to put that into context and they didn't just like give up on stuff when things went bad. You can't win it every single year, but to go to Antonio Pierce again, I don't think that the Raiders should fully just dive right on in to offering him a large contract or, or even multi-year because they've whiffed on McDaniels and they whiffed on Gruden and they're still paying those guys. You can't miss on them again. I'm not saying Antonio Pierce is going to be a bad quarterback or a bad head coach, but what we have to stop doing is once we see a little bit of success, just diving right in and giving quarterbacks stupid money and head coaches stupid money, because more often than not, you are going to bail on them. The Raiders are still paying for two previous coaches and Antonio Pierce might be a great coach, but do you guys remember when Urban Meyer got hired? I use him as like the catalyst for this because there is, there were people in the universe that said that Urban Meyer would be a great NFL head coach just because of his college success. Now we laugh at everything about it now because we see what the actual end result was in real time. When he got hired, there were people saying it was a good hire. Same thing with McDaniels. Like there's other there's other circumstances, there's other ex, uh, examples of a little bit of success and overcommitting. I've always said this, and I, it, it's never going to happen. So I need to preface it with that. I'm not trying to tell you that this is something that I see that will ever come to fruition. But I've always been of the proponent of 
players and coaches need a max, like three max, max, max four-year contracts. Because what we see all too often is guys outperform their original contract, get paid and guarantees and whatnot, and then they slack off. Or coaches sometimes do it too because theirs is guaranteed. It's not part of the salary cap. That's why like, it's not, it's, and I don't really understand what the, the economics of it to me don't make sense on why you're willing to throw away stupid amounts of money for coaches for long-term and then get rid of them, especially college coaches. Holy hell, don't even get me started on that. But I think that what they need to do is max everything out of three years, because if that's supposed to be your maximum, that's your shelf life. The average shelf life of a professional athlete, especially in football is essentially three years. So if you can't prove to me that you can be on the field for three years, I shouldn't have to pay you for four more afterwards. Same thing with a coach. I shouldn't have to sign you for 10 years when I'm only going to get a season and a half of good stuff. Then I'm going to, I'm going to move off from you anyways, because the fan base can't stand you or I can't stand you or got new owners. We got new ownership. You weren't my guy. So I can just toss you to the wayside. I, I, I've been saying that for years and I know it's never going to happen, but if I could fix professional sports, that's what I would do. All right, let's head back over to the chat real quick. Um, Chris said it would be a very Raiders thing to do. It would be. And again, I'm not saying that he'd be bad at it. I don't know. But this is where we we make our judgments so quickly is a little bit of success. You can't lose him. And we talked about this earlier with quarterbacks. It happens with coaches. It happens with coordinators all the time. But I would I will say this. I would much rather Antonio Pierce get a... a an opportunity as a head coaching as for a head coaching job, then us just keep recycling the same names because it is, it's a pattern. If you feel in the NFL, you go back and you run to Belichick, you go be a coordinator, you rebrand your name and you get another gig. Same thing in college football, rinse and repeat, but now it's just Nick Saban. And, and it's the same dudes getting gigs over and over and over again, instead of trying to take some kind of chance, but taking a chance is different than throwing your entire future away and then rebuilding again, like 22 months later. To me, it just doesn't make any sense, but I, I'm not calling it's not my money. So y'all can do what you want with it. Um, <laughs> Taylor says he doesn't have what eyebrows. Give him a break. Oh, he doesn't have eyebrows. Give him a break. No, no, no. Eyebrows is not a requirement to be a head coach. So I'm, I'm not doing that. Um, very well. So uh, Roy did say, what do you think about all the bad calls the refs been making, not just with the bills, but all the teams that I think that officiating is always going to be an argument. And it's always when it, whenever it doesn't benefit your team, because if it, that's, I, I'm actually kind of glad you brought that up, Roy, because it is something where, if it benefits your team, it's, well, they didn't call it. So, you know, ball don't lie. No, come on. Like, let's, let's be adult about this, you know, but there's, so I, I think that what Roy is probably most, but the pinpoint one he's trying to get to, I would imagine is the bills chiefs with Kadarius, Tony being offsides. And what's wild too, is like, when you look at that play, he basically gave up on it. And Bill's defenders gave up on him. So even if, had he not been so selfish and so lazy, they never would have even been in that position to potentially have scored that touchdown. But I think what the, what the refs are trying to do is 
whenever it's it's just like anything else when there's enough backlash and enough it's just you because you don't want officiating to be the reason why people talk about games right that if you don't talk about officiating that means it was a really great officiated game but there isn't a whole lot of that one these these dudes are just built different man every single person on the football field is 64 230 and runs a 44 i just don't know how you have guys who look like my dad 68 year old men running up and down the field trying to hold up with with guys in their early to mid 20s and with just like those freak of athletes this is when you look at the technology so how the hell did soccer tennis golf and even to a degree baseball get it right before football the biggest sport that we have in this country with all of the resources in the world but we're still judging if a punt goes out of bounds by the ref the sideline judges optics and sometimes with an index card seeing if it's a first down or not it's 2023 almost 2024 i think that we should have better technology and not even just you not even just have better technology but implement it better than what the National Football League does. I just it's it seems like it's almost an even more impossible position to do than to play quarterback at this point. It's it's got to be impossible to referee these games in real time without help from above. But when you have things that can't be challenged, which is stupid, but also everything's a hold and everything's a false start and everything is this. You've got to make things more definitive instead of leaving things up if you want it to be cleaner, make it definitive. Stop making everything a judgment call. That's the way that I would look at it. False starts shouldn't be objective. Delay of game shouldn't be objective. That should, it, oh, tell you what, we're going to give you that extra half second. That doesn't do the defense any good. These are things that we should be able to do them better, cleaner, and more efficient, given the money and the resources and just the power that the NFL has. But there's something nostalgic about everything that I said about having a chain gang and having to go out and measure. And like, there's people don't want to give that up. And as long as we still have that connectivity and nostalgia to it, I don't see them getting rid of it. Because again, the technology is good in golf, soccer, tennis, baseball, even now. If this is the way that they want to keep doing this dinosaur archaic way of presenting football, because it appeals to the masses still. It's what they're going to do. That's the way that I look at it. Uh, but do, do, do. Oh, right. Well, I kind of, I kind of melded in the, uh, the Raiders and, and Tony Pierce. So Russell Wilson. So we had some, some questions about Russell Wilson, because he's supposed to be released after this season. If they do, that's just clearly a bandaid rip because they already gave up multiple first rounders to get him. They paid him just a bunch of money. So it feels like at this point in time, you don't think that you have your quarterback anyways, but you also don't have to just reach and get one in the first round. Anyway, this is a fairly deep quarterback draft. Maybe you can get one in the second. I believe they still have one, but once the off season hits, if you have disgruntled wide receivers, Jerry Judy, or if you have other pieces that you can move, to get your draft capital back. I still don't, there are certain teams that just have too many holes to fill. And it doesn't matter what you do. Chicago to me is kind of one of those places too, where I don't think it really matters what you do, but at least with Chicago, you're in the NFC and you have a chance to turn it around 
Whereas in the AFC is just, what are you going to do? And especially being the same, being in the AFC West, that to me doesn't bode well for you. That's still Kansas City's division, regardless of how bad they've looked recently by the metrics of our eyes. Um, but Denver, to me, I think that, yeah, this is a Band-Aid rip move if they even do it. Because I know I'm going off on a bunch of tangents, but we all thought that Bill Belichick was going to get fired at the beginning of this season. And then a few weeks into it, we realized that they gave him a monster extension. And now he's back on the hot seat again. And it's kind of the same thing with Russell Wilson. They're saying that they, that they're going to cut him, but it's a lot of dead money. It's just, a, it's, it's they're in cap hell with Russell, regardless of what they do. But this does feel like what they want to do. If they, again, if they even do it, I'm not saying definitively that I even trust it because we've been lied to too many times. I've seen too many things in the world of sports where I don't believe anything that is written until it's actually done. So they might be getting rid of Wilson. They might be willing to cut him. If that is indeed the plan, this is just, all right, man, we are, we are completely rebuilding this from the ground up. We whiffed, we tried, we thought we were a quarterback away. The Jets thought they were a quarterback away. But sometimes you just have bad luck. And also, if if Russell Wilson didn't have as bad of a year as he did last year, maybe this doesn't happen. And it seems kind of ridiculous to hold last year against him. But this year, he hasn't been bad. But every organization needs a scapegoat. And so when I talk about I'm not worried about how players want to get theirs is because, it yeah, it's a business. But it's not just a business from the business owner. It's not just a business from the GM. It's a business from the player as well. Because the way that I've always looked at this is you don't play for the Denver Broncos in this situation. You're basically a subcontractor. Yes, you are. You're employed by the NFL, but you just wear their jersey, essentially. So he's still going to play because that was one of the other questions I was asked. Is he is he done or does he get kind of like a, a Joe Flacco resurrection? That I don't know. Um, if he were to actually be cut. I don't think he's done playing football, but I do think that he's either a, sheesh. this isn't even really one of those situations where you go to a team with a bad quarterback because now you could get him on the cheap. I, you could, I guess, but this always gets, it gets so dicey when you, when you talk about these player contracts, when they already have so much guaranteed to them, because you wonder like wh- what's going to be at the real discounted value. That's why to, to cross pollinate this for a moment with baseball with is with Shohei Otani. Like, how did you let the players union, like players union, the, the, the league, how did you let him sign for $2 million a year for 10 years and then just backdate all the money? That's going to set a new precedent for how you can sign all these other players going forward. It's good. You may not be able to do it to the same extreme. And then there might start to be limits on how much back pay that you can give to people, how much you can front or backload it, because that's such an egregious example of it. But when you're looking at what kind of discounted market could you get for Russell Wilson, because there's so much money that is being attached to him, how much is going to be like the base, base, base pay that the NFL will allow him to sign at for a team that's a quarterback away? He's not done playing football, but you, this is something we run into with professional athletes when they are always the last one to know. And Russell Wilson had his, his bad year last year. And I do, I think that if his, I think that if last year was better, 
given the fact of how he played this year, I think the Sean Payton would have been okay with holding on to him for another year. Maybe, but I'm not, I'm not in the locker room. I don't know what their dynamic is. I know that there's been some schisms because that was the word that we like to use back when Brett Favre was, was playing. There was a schism in the locker room. Maybe it was just too much. And maybe, maybe there is some truth and some validity to it. I don't think he's done playing though, but it is going to have to reflect on who needs him. What's the price going to be? Also, who's going to be in cap hell and who can even afford him if they really want to try to take on anything. I would be very surprised if he gets traded. We already thought he was that you couldn't trade him the first time. And this is why I always go back to nothing surprises me. We always say that Russell Westbrook is never going to get traded and he always gets traded that Chris Paul's not going to get traded. And he always gets traded that Russell Wilson couldn't get traded. And he did. There is a never say never attitude with me. They might still try to shop him. I don't know who would pick up that money. I don't know how it even work, but don't be surprised. Don't be just don't be surprised if it happens because nothing surprises me anymore. Comeback player of the year has been a topic of a lot of discussion. Before the season started, everybody just kind of knew it's DeMar Hamlin. Like, just don't even do the award. Um, like when you die on the field and come back and you're resurrected, like that's kind of that's kind of the thing. Yeah, you 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 were literally the comeback player of the year. You came back from the dead and you got on a football field. It was going to be a wrap, but now, and I said this, I said this almost three weeks ago that Joe Flacco was going to mess around and win most improved player of the year. Comeback player of the year. I still think is most likely going to be DeMar Hamlin just because of this, like the situation, because that's comeback. It's not most improved. Comeback player, if you can name me, I'm sure that I'm like some, some name is most likely eluding me as far as somebody who had a, just a ridiculously bad injury and came back and played. If, if Aaron Rodgers were to have been able to come back when he wanted to, like a month ago, he would have been able to make a push for it. But even him, like, I don't, I never trusted for a moment that he was ever to come back. This, it was such a theatrical thing that he did and that he does. I never believed it, but that's a story for another day. And, and Chris Fish was coming in like, and I understand it four starts. He's got like two tackles, two special team tackles. Like I understand by the optics of football, you cannot be the comeback player of the year when you have four starts and just a couple tackles. I'm with you. But when the like the nation was taken by just completely enthralled with this kid's story and what happened on the football field, because we haven't seen it happen, that was going to be the time where things were going to start to get completely unraveled for the NFL. Not completely unraveled because the, the sport would still live on. I, 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 that was a bad choice of words. But given the circumstance that DeMar was going through and that, that everybody saw in real time there were the betting odds were were demar hamlin and like good luck you can take the field if you want to but you're just throwing your money away and and i and i agree i agree that way when you look at what he's done on the field production wise it is not warranted 
But when I look at comeback player of the year, to me, that see that that signifies some type of adversity that nobody thought that you could get through and you still made it, whether it is an ACL tear, whether it's, uh, you know, what DeMar Hamlin went through. Those types of things for me are comeback player of the year type of uh, requirements and requisitions for the position, if you will. Most improved player is something completely different. That is something where you look at where you were last year and where you are now. So Joe Flacco to me, I mean, it's kind of hard to argue that I said three weeks ago that he's going to mess around and win most improved player of the year. You could throw in him. You could throw in Baker. Um, Hell, if you really even wanted to, even though he's been great this year, but he was great last year, you could throw Brock Purdy in there because he's improved. Obviously now when he doesn't have all the Avengers with him, not so much, but I wouldn't expect him to anyways. Um, So Steven Muma says, He's the only choice if you can look at it objectively. And I'm assuming that you mean DeMar for comeback player of the year. Yeah. It's just what, like, what's your requirement for comeback? Like I said, for me, it's, it's some, it has to be something, a really debilitating injury that took you out for a majority of the season. Uh, or there's gotta be something catastrophic that happened for you to come back and play and, and, you know, Adrian Peterson was some like, I think he won, didn't he win the rushing title and MVP the year after tearing his ACL? Like that's a comeback player of the year type of story. Comeback player of the year and most improved are two completely different things with different criteria. And I, it, it sounds kind of harsh, even parsing words with there needs to be requirements for comeback. Like you have to die on the field to be considered for comeback. And it, I don't like saying that, but that's, that's the lane that all of America. And this isn't just a me, a take as, as, as a Bills fan. This was America's take before the season started. If DeMar Hamlin just takes the field, he's comeback player of the year. Hands down, don't even have to talk about it. Case closed. That wasn't me. That was America speaking. And I feel like that is most likely still what's going to happen. I'm still going to vote for Joe Flacco because I tried to call it three weeks ago. But that's just me being bitter at that point in time. All right. Oh, I appreciate. I can't tell if that's actually in my. Nope, that was a that was a message. I appreciate you saying my name correctly. You are welcome, Stephen. I. Well, how do people pronounce it? M o o m a w Muma. I don't know. I don't know how the starting bell was set. But before we hang it up today, do you guys have anything else? Oh. I'm going to complain about Giannis for a moment, just real quick, because it's kind of what I do. If you have anything else you want to throw in the group chat, please go ahead. I've got a little bit more time left before we hang it up for the night. Um, yeah, I'm over Giannis Antetokounmpo just in general. I've never been a big fan of his game, but when when I see him play, there's this complex about him. And a lot of folks are going to say, well, that's that's the competitive edge. No, there's something, there's, there's something. And I compare him quite often to Draymond Green. Obviously he is a better individual basketball player than Draymond Green, but the things that he gets upset about him freaking out with his record performance for the Bucks when wasn't even the game ball from what I understand is there's that. 
the very first clip I saw him is when he ran over the skinny Mike Dunleavy Jr. against the Bulls. I was either his rookie year or the year after. There's just something about him that there's a complex. And I've, I I put this on the, the chop of a P. Scott page last week, I believe. And I said that Giannis and the Philadelphia Eagles are the same. They're obviously different because one's a team and one's a person. But this is what I feel like he's he's running into this stressor of now that they went through the entire fiasco of getting Dame Lillard there, he had on his shoulders at one point in time, Giannis has taken the league from LeBron. Giannis has taken the league from Steph. No, he hasn't. And he's pressing. And Philadelphia, I think, is kind of doing the same thing where they've had this hype around them and they're starting to feel stressed out and they're starting to feel the weight of this that this could all start crumbling down at any moment. And the, the pedestal that we were so quick to put them on can be diminished in just a matter of months, it feels like. Philly is just, maybe you just weren't that good. Maybe you had an easier schedule last year. We talked about this earlier in the program where you got all pro seasons out of multiple people, which you just can't bank on to happen all the time. So it's a combination of that. Plus you have the the MVP discussions of Jalen Hurts and the AJ Brown and Devonte Smith, and you've got all of these weapons and Dallas Goddard. You should be better than this, but the timeline on these things can evaporate really quickly. And Philly's kind of experiencing that right now. And I feel like Milwaukee, most specifically Giannis, because of this complex that he has. And I'll, it's not just me, Jeff Dean. If you end up listening to this, I know that you're going to appreciate this because he's not a big Giannis fan either. His moves are predictable. I don't like his attitude. I think that we move the goalpost with him because what he does is he caters to what the American people largely want to hear. But I've never seen us move the goalpost with somebody so much that we do with Giannis, where when he loses in the finals or in the first round, it's always, well, you know, you can't win every year. We have to have some perspective. And, you know, it's not all about just winning. It's about the journey. I'm going, yo, we've, we don't give anybody who is considered to be a superstar, that kind of treatment. But when Giannis says it, we're like, oh, you know what? That's a good point, dog. Maybe, you know, you can't win every year. No, we don't do that to any other dude. So why are we giving it to him? And that's always been my thing is he says in the moment, because he flip-flopped as well. Remember when I think they lost in the Eastern Conference Finals a couple of years ago. He's like, I'm pissed. The only thing that there is is winning. And then the next year it's, oh, well, you know, you can't win them all and you have perspective. It's no, which one is it, dog? If you're supposed to be this alpha dude, then we, you know, you can't talk like that. I personally, that's the way that I look at sports though. I do look at it from the perspective of you can't win them all. It's really tough to do. And especially at the, the highest level, the 1% of the 1% at the top of their game. I know that it's tough without even being in that, without even occupying that space. I know that it is, but I've never heard one other person flip-flop the narrative on their own and be supported at every single turn. And before that, before I hang it up, I got to get one more stab at Jason Tatum because I'm tired of people calling him baby Kobe, right? You, I'm not talking to all of you. When I say y'all, I mean, you all who say this, but not everybody who's listening. Y'all need to stop this. I saw the other week that Jason Tatum in like intentionally did not take a pass from Derek White because he didn't want the turnover. What? 
Y'all got to stop this, man. Y'all want you guys want to anoint everybody as the next somebody. I'm not saying that Jason Tatum isn't great at basketball because he is. But at every turn, especially when it comes to Kobe, I've said this a thousand times and I will die on this hill. Y'all talk about Kobe the way that you talk about Kobe because of how he passed and the other people that were involved. We weren't talking this way about Kobe when he was playing. We weren't talking about this way about Kobe when he had retired. He's moving up everybody's list and he's being the mama mentality where it's just feeding into the story is so sad that if you don't talk about it, it seems like you're a bad person or you seem like you're a hater or whatever. No, it's just this. He was not in that conversation. We called him diet Michael Jordan. Like you were just a copycat, but nobody ever had him in like a top three or top five. And the mama mentality thing was a thing that was coined. It was his because he was the black mama. Like that was the deal. But now everybody's just trying to attach onto it, latch onto it and build up their own brand based off of him, which that to me is even more sad than anything else. But and and Chris, Chris Fisher says Kobe would be disgusted. And that's my point is like, Kobe didn't care about that kind of stuff, man. Like, how are you not going to take a pass and say like, Oh, I don't want the turnover on my resume. That's like, that's like people in the NBA when it's the end of a quarter or the end of a half, a game, whatever, and don't want to take the shot because it's going to ruin their percentage. But you know what? This comes back to y'all again. It's not every one of you, but you all know who I'm talking about when I say y'all, where if you have that shooting percentage and you were 13 for 25 or 13 for 26 and you were shooting 50% and then you missed that one shot to go under 50%, day by day, minute by minute, we have to ridicule somebody for somebody and professional athletes don't want to have to hear that either. So... They say they don't, they say they don't care and they don't read, they don't watch, but they do. So I'm just going to leave it at that. And with that being said, we are going to go ahead and hang it up for the day. I appreciate you guys chopping it up with Peace Scott on Prescott Kelly. You can find us on Apple podcast, Spotify, YouTube as well. Chopping up a Peace Scott. Please make sure to like, share, subscribe, smash those five-star reviews. Tell your friends about hide your kids, hide your wives. It's 2023. I know that you guys know how to share the podcast to your friends if you like it so we can grow this thing into the evil empire that we are trying to build. You guys know the drill. Stay up. Stay blessed. We'll catch you guys in the next one.